before uh, you get into the episode here, we have a weird spoiler we want to give warning to. If you're in the car <laughs> with your kids uh, and they're very young and you still celebrate Christmas, uh, we do have a little bit of spoiler. I just don't want anyone on staff, uh, Leah, to be blamed uh, in regards to uh, spoiling a, a very magical time of year and a magical person. So with that in mind, maybe <laughs> thanks for looking out. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the No Proscenium Review Crew. This is episode 39, and I'll be your guest host tonight, Patrick McLean, the Chicago curator, filling in for Kevin Gossett, who is a currently in the other room expecting a call from Alexander Graham Bell. It should be coming through (laughs) any minute now. Um, And while we're waiting for him to get through with that, I have a great panel of other correspondents here with me to introduce themselves. Hi, this is Laura Hess, the arts editor. And I'm Leah Davis, your New England correspondent. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for you both to be here and I'm pretty stoked about the topic we have. Before we get into it, just to promote some upcoming events that we have, uh, we just had our book club last night in regards to reading, uh, in reading, planning your escape from Ellie Hall. It was a great conversation that I had with everyone in discord, but I'm here to announce our next book club book is the night circus. And we will be doing that. Uh, we'll be reading that and talking about it on May 17th. It's in Discord. It's free. We'll make sure there's show notes, follow social media to get all the specifics. But uh, go out there, go to your local bookstore, get that ordered. And hopefully we'll see you there to talk about it. So I just want to now get into the topic at hand today. So we're going to be talking about kind of something that's always been part of the immersive experience, but I feel like sometimes gets a little overlooked because while it seems that society, or at least here in the United States, has moved away from making phone calls on the regular, electing to go with more modern and faster, quote unquote, forms of communication, telephone-based experiences historically have had a continual presence in the immersive verse. In recent years, though, uh, I feel like there's been a really big resurgence and renaissance for this form with many different companies offering performances regularly and ongoing connecting performer and audience in incredibly simple yet utterly effective ways with this episode uh laura leah and i will be discussing some of the experiences that have resonated with us both past and present and on that uh leah has the most present experience one that she actually wrote up and is featured in this week's review rundown, which is Leah. All right. So We Should Meet in Air is a 30-minute phone call uh, by Steppy Kamei and produced by They Played Productions. It's running through the end of April. And it's a 30-minute phone call between you and Sylvia Plath on the eve of Sylvia's last birthday. And it is such an intimate little jewel of a show. I <laughs> I was delighted by it. Um, what would you guys like to know? How, how shall we? How shall we frame this? 
Well, I would love to just simply learn about a little bit of um, the overview of the conversation and sets like that. Is there a conceit that there's like an old timey, like, you know, is there an acknowledgement that you're talking to Sylvia Plath out of time or in time? I would love to know the context in which you're uh, connecting with Plath. Okay. Uh, so Steppy did this really cleverly. She starts out the phone call uh, with a very easy manner and she starts out as herself. And right away, she does a lot of great expectation setting saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's why I'm interested in this. And here's why we're going to be having a, why you are going to be having a conversation with Sylvia. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away here. She'll certainly walk you through it if you get tickets. Uh, but right away, the audience member is put right, just put at ease and understands exactly what's going to happen next. And once that rapport is built very briefly, uh, Steppy takes a turn and her, her voice acting comes on and all of a sudden you are talking to Sylvia. And there's no acknowledgement. This is not Sylvia calling from the past. This is Sylvia calling to talk to a friend on her birthday. <laughs> and don't worry, you don't have to know anything about Sylvia Plath. Um, or you can know a whole bunch. Either way, Steppy, as Sylvia, will guide you through the conversation and uh, you talk exactly like you would talk with an old friend. Um, catching up on life, maybe helping with some creative problems. Uh, so it's, it's like it's a very... to you. Yeah, it's like a free-flowing conversation. There's no... Um, whether whether uh, you're expertly being guided through a conversation, who's to say, but the, it's presented in a very casual sense. A chit-chat. It is, a chit-chat. Um, granted, Plath... Is a bit of a powerhouse as a person. She's, uh, um, at least the way that Steppy portrays her, very passionate, uh, very kind and empathetic, but also a bit manic. So there's a strong energy that guides you through the entire show that's present. Uh, <laughs> and it's not to say that there's no structure to the show. There definitely is. I, I just think there's a lot of room for improvisation uh, if you care to go that way. And... Why a phone call then? Because like this could have been a Zoom call, right? Or it could have been on Discord or any other kind of medium that had a visual connection. What did you think was gained by having it be a phone call? Hmm. Um, that's a really big question. But in the in the very specific instance of this show, uh, Plath died in what the the nineteen sixties. Sure. There would not, not have been a, a <laughs> there would not have been a video <laughs> component here. So there was something that added a bit of verisimilitude. Uh, to, to not having video, it, it made you feel that you were somehow, I don't want to say both in the 60s. I really felt like we were having a conversation, a perfectly normal phone conversation with her in the 60s and me today. And I don't think that you could have done that over Zoom with video component. I know we're going to get into some of these elements more. Um, we've all done phone-based experiences where you as the participant are playing a character. And one of the themes that we're going to explore today is, is not doing that. And so you, Leah, you're showing up to this conversation just as Leah. And I think it's, it's worth unpacking 
how is that different? How does that, what does that offer you specifically compared to other phone-based experiences where you are also creating a character or you're playing a character, at least in some way? Wow, you've really got me going over my mental list now because I'm not sure I've ever done a phone, a phone immersive show where I've played a character. Other oh, than really? Myself. Interesting. Yeah, gosh, I hadn't oh, thought of that before. Okay, okay. Um, huh. Well, in any case, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hit you with all the hard questions, right? Well, I love it. That's a great question. Um, I, I will say that there's some parallel here for me between the ARG world or the RPG, the role-playing game world mm-hmm. versus uh, LARP versus an augmented reality. Um, I think that's where my my experience comes in because in LARP, you are playing uh, a character in a world, a made-up character in a made-up world. And uh, in ARG, you are playing essentially yourself in a world that is that is slightly different. And this felt a little bit more like that. Okay, I'm Leah. I woke up today. I got a phone call from Sylvia Plath. That's not a thing that maybe happened in my real life, but I'm willing to set aside some, <laughs> some disbelief right now and say, yes, okay, now what? Uh, and that now what opens up such a beautiful set of opportunities um, for theater and creation and imagination. Well, and I think here's a way that we can explore this a little bit more is that obviously when you, we all do this in, in different contexts, um, we might present a certain version of ourselves. So I guess like, did you feel like you were presenting and not that that's inauthentic, but did you feel like you were presenting kind of a specific version of yourself for this call or did that change while you were on the call? All right. You just, you hit the nail, the invisible nail on the head. I didn't even know this needed to be said. (laughs) Um, The energy that both Kame, Steppy Kame and Kame as Plath put out is something that really resonates for me. Um, She has a dark humor, a a really the visceral, authentic acceptance of just the entire scope of human experience. Um, You get the sense that although these strange, horrible things are happening in her life, she's sort of excited by this possibility. Um, She's not looking just for sunshine and rainbows and that resonated for me and really opened up a space for me to talk about similar feelings that I have about um, darkness and ugliness being beautiful and part of the human experience Uh, so so yes yes (laughs) well and I wonder because in in looking at our show notes that the listener's gonna hear what we're gonna be talking about soon but so many of these shows I, I wonder what makes this different is because most, I think every sh- phone call telephone experience I've done, you just, you're staring at the phone at the designated time waiting for it to ring. And I wonder how much this onboarding affected your experience. Cause it sounded like you had this moment of engagement with the performer and then there was the uh, a pause or a transition, whatever it was. And then the performance began in right. So you, you had a time, some time to warm up, to be, have a dialogue. So you weren't just literally getting a cold call, right? 
And I, I wonder yeah. how much that affected, affected your experience. I, I think there was a, a great positive effect there. I, you know how much I love onboarding. I think it's one of the most important parts of immersive because Absolutely. it really sets the stage for the audience. Um, and the onboarding here was not just the the little precursor to the call. There was also an email ahead of time telling me what to expect. And in both cases, uh, the process was elegant and efficient. Um, Steppy told me what to expect and then did it and moved on. There was no hesitation. There was no um, acknowledgement that this might be awkward. You just felt very secure in her hands the entire time. And and That's then to so go important. to the... Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then to go to the end of the your your call with Plath, were you then uh, for some reason I want to say un un onboarded? I can't think of the opposite of onboarding right now. <laughs> um, but what, did it did then did the did Plath go away and you uh, then engaged with the performer again, or did the call? And I'm just curious now. The like the was literally I, was it, I disembarked um <laughs> there you go disembarked thank <laughs> no, you no god i hate it i hate it um <laughs> no but <laughs> I'm, I'm gritting because this is just so brilliant the email ahead of time told the listener exactly what to expect at the end of the call so in this case the the onboarding call included a section that said at the end of the call you will hear um a brief moment of guitar music and then mm-hmm. the call will end. And that's intentional. If the call ends without you hearing that music, you'll know something is wrong and we will attempt to call back. <laughs> and it was perfect because then that's exactly what happened. And I thought, ah, I, I feel very well taken care of and stewarded right now. And so that didn't deflate any, uh, that th- there wasn't an element of surprise in terms of how you're, you're shepherded off no. And in fact, I would have been disappointed if Steppy had come back at the end. Um, she gave me all of the information I needed to know about her process up front. And after that, the call that I had with Sylvia was really, really special. I felt intimately seen by her. I felt like I had things to say and see about her. Uh, I felt like there was an equal exchange of ideas and emotion. And by the time she hung up, there was this beautiful, bittersweet sadness that you feel when you stop talking to a friend that you might not hear from again for a long, long while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I wonder how much – it sounds like structure played a very pivotal role in this experience because I think, you know, once again, when 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 people talk to each other – with you know it can be very free flowing and things like that but it can get out of control you can you can wind up on tangents or you can just end up not talking about the thing which you do i think about all like the work calls i get on and they start off as work calls but then you're chatting with someone and things like that and it seems like structure played like a really important part here um with this experience you know it it did but i would not have um noted that during the time i i think I think after the fact, I can look back and say, oh, man, the, the structure was done beautifully. It was super important here. But it was also done well in that it fades into the background during the experience. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, th- you don't... Go ahead, Right, Laura. you don't want to just be so aware of that infrastructure. Yeah, but, that makes sense. But then to, tran- to transition, nailing it... Um, Laura and I, we both did an experience that was incredibly structured, uh, a call from the resistance, uh, from capital W. Um, and this was, 
this was like incredibly structured in what happened because this was uh, uh, from Capital W. You sign up and you get a call, and this took place right before the twenty. 20 election season mm-hmm. uh, uh up until the november vo- voting day and mm-hmm. you know it was essentially someone calling in and checking in with you and going down what equates to maybe a questionnaire uh in regards to get your temperature about how you're feeling about this election cycle how are you feeling about the vote you have cast or are going to cast on uh on the fourth um and uh, what, laura what was your experience like with that phone call yeah, I'll give a, um, a a little bit of additional context about this. So, as Patrick said, this a call from the resistance was produced by Capital W. This was written, um, performed, and co-directed by Mason Flink, and then it was co-directed by Lauren Ludwig. And there were also a, a kind of bank of volunteers who also did calls. Um, my call was with Mason. So this ran from September to the beginning of November of 2020. It was roughly a 40-minute call. And the, and the launching point was, um, do you have residual pain from the 2016 presidential election? And if you do, um, that they had volunteers to help you process the past. And, um, and they described it as, you know, feel your way into the future. And so it was an invitation to consider not just the past, um, but then the unexpected impact of your place in America. Those are their words. And it was really, um, it was a great dual focus on processing the past and looking to the future and what can you do in, in your own way? Um, how do you define resistance and what different actions can you take? And so um, the vibe of this was very affirming. It was very calming. And I, I mean, I, um, for anyone who has read or, or, or may now read my review, um, I mean, I wept like it was a uh, an incredibly emotional, cathartic experience for me. It was simultaneously communal and then deeply, deeply individual and personal. And so the Patrick is right to point out that the infrastructure, which it does sound like there's a lot of similarities with we should meet in air, the infrastructure was incredibly, well organized it was beautifully crafted and then because of that it was able to really recede into the distance i wasn't aware of the infrastructure while it was happening but mason there was such a great balance between being guided on this phone call process um this this conversation and and me feeling being given permission to talk about my feelings and he would chime in with some of his own, um, you know, personal experiences as well. But it was that was it was this beautiful dance, and that is so hard to achieve. Well, and this is very interesting because I think we had I, I enjoyed my call from the resistance uh, very much so, but I I'm fairly confident that I spoke with one of the volunteers mm-hmm. um, who was a very strong performer and, you know, asked those questions, but I found it very liberating in the sense because this is someone I had never spoken to asking, and to be clear, these are very pointed, they were very pointed questions. These were not Mm -hmm. just like, 
like I'm gathering statistical information. Like they were very thought provoking. And what I really appreciated in doing that call was it made me stop and think because God, it's only two years ago, but 2020 was pretty hellish. (laughs) (laughs) I am sure if everyone has their own version of it, whatever that means, but it was, it was so great to just have someone like stop and ask me pointedly, like somewhat like a little bit like therapy. It's as like just a comparison in the sense of like someone going, well, is that what you really think? Is that what actually happened? Or like really forcing you to look at the facts of the situation to maybe take a step back from the emotional reeling of the year. And I found that to be very liberating in that sense to just really stop and take stock in what had happened to me and how I was feeling when somewhat compartmentalizing everything. Well, and I think actually I'll piggyback on that because I think it actually did. It it did both so beautifully. Like it did. I think you're right that it, I mean, it's two sides of the same coin. I think that it offered distance and it offered perspective and it offered a chance to, uh, to untangle some of those emotions. And yet it also offered the opportunity to, uh, you know, here's my bad metaphor for the day, but like, you know, this really (laughs) knotted, there's always at least one, usually it's food. Um, But let's take this like really knotted ball of yarn. Mm -hmm. And so it also, you know, in that case, it's a knotted ball of yarn of emotion and um, let's untangle that together. So I think it, it, it really offered both, which again is incredibly difficult to do in such a seamless way. Yeah, and I I wonder, Laura, when did you do your phone call for calls um, from the resistance? Yeah, I looked this up because it's been a while, um, and we were having this conversation. I I did want to look up some of these details, um, and also there's a specific um, kind of magic circle element that I want to talk about as we're talking about onboarding and offboarding. And so, um, I did this at the very end of September, and I one of the things that I said in my review was that you know, in spite of all of the political conversations that I'd had since 2016, some of which were really fraught, um, mm-hmm. some of which were with people where we, we shared a lot of the same values and belief systems, um, this dialogue felt very fresh and unique. And so I do think that, again, that was a really extraordinary thing to be able to achieve. Um, I'll come back to the magic circle. Why were you asking that particular question? Well, yeah, because I uh, I did mine very close to election day. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It would not. It was not it, it, within seven days. Within the week, uh, so I had also already casted my vote as oh, well. Okay. So I was very kind of curious in regards to that. So I had I had voted, um, and I, I'm here in Chicago and Illinois. So the vote I made, I felt confident that it would do what I wanted. But nevertheless, I had great anxiety about all the other votes still. And that was right. a very kind of it's a, disco- a, a moment of self-discovery with this call in regards to I've done my part. And now it's just like, I hope everyone else will uh, do, will, will even just vote at least, you know? Um, so I had a very kind of like in the moment, like the anxiety of building to that time for me. And that's what, so because I didn't know that, and it's great that we can share that, these different perspectives, since I did mine at the end of September, another part of um, 
how this production was so beautifully crafted or another example of how it was so beautifully crafted was that they had um, an immediate follow-up afterwards, which was offered different action items. And again, it, it was, you know, I think that they said that we, something along the lines of, we encourage you to, to follow the yeah, actions of resistance. Yeah, it was like an resistance. email, right? Right. And so yeah. in, in my case, because it was the end of September, I get this lovely email that's, you know, offering things like here's a voting plan. Here's ways you can encourage others to vote. Here's where you can donate time or money. And then a week before the election, which I wasn't expecting this at all, I think Mason had said that they would follow up with the, this, you know, these action items. But then a week before the election, I was absolutely delighted to receive another email, which was the subject was your emotional safety plan for election day. Mm -hmm. And this offered up, it wasn't just a repetition of that other email, um, which was wonderfully comprehensive, but this offered up a meditation, um, a a calming ritual, other post-election actions. So while the others tended to be more pre-election actions. So this was Again, it was like this kind of constant handholding in a way that wasn't, it was like this empowering handholding, which yeah, was they, wonderful. They oscillated very successfully, I thought, between engaging both like your role in the world, but then also your your role in yourself, I guess, like in the yes. sense of like taking care of both. What can you do for both the world around you and yourself. And I think that was, I think to that point was very successful because I do now remember very vividly some of those techniques that I, I wasn't doing. I was not engaging in good mental care at the time right. uh, and taking those breaks or thinking like that where I was, I'm still hooked to the news. I mean, there's always something worth getting hooked, but it, <laughs> it, it, it made a difference for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was, it was a wonderful get- experience. Sorry. Go ahead, Leah. What did you get out of this being a telephone experience that maybe you wouldn't have gotten if this was um, an in-person experience or something on Discord? I would say for myself, it was the... Coldness is not the right word, but just simply talking to a stranger without having to make eye contact or... um, know I'm being observed in any way as I respond very emotionally to some questions or just like when I'm caught off guard about the depth of the question and pondering it, I had the the privacy and the safety of being in my own space to do so. And I think that was very liberating for me. What about you, Laura? I totally agree with that. I, I will say also that, um, so first of all, I think that there, even though this was ex- I think pretty explicitly not described as like a phone banking, you know, production, but you do have that overlap. And so there's a lovely harmony um, between the actual political phone banking that goes on and then this production using the phone and using this particular medium. I also feel like there's a very specific, and I wrote about this fairly recently. There's a very specific kind of intimacy um, that I find with uh, not just phone based, but like audio based experiences, you know, screenless experiences, there's a specific kind of anonymity. Um, I've talked about this with other productions like the adjacent possible, 
Um, and I think that that always allows you to go inside yourself in a in a very specific way. I think not having a, a visuals just in general. <laughs> I, I, why does I'm, that make I'm laughing. you laugh? Oh, I'm laughing because Alistair Cook has this incredible quote about radio, which I think maybe applies here. Um, and he says, I, I prefer radio to TV because the pictures are better. <laughs> it's, it's so, it is so, so, so true. And I, I absolutely love that quote. And it's so, it's the kind of, I mean, this is not, again, this is maybe like my bad analogy for the day. Um, it's that Blair You already had one. I, well, that was a metaphor. I hope I'm oh, remembering okay. the differences properly between the two. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. But like, yeah, your imagination is is so so powerful, and so I personally love that. I mean, and I'm a very visual person, but I think given the chance to, especially in a case like this where you're being asked to to revisit your memories, um, I think you can, as as Patrick's saying, I think you you can go kind of into your, you know, you're in the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can go into yourself in a, in a way that I, I just don't think that you can't, or it's so much harder to in a public setting. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, on the topic of telephone experiences that are uh, very provocative in the imagery that they put into our mind's eyes, um, Candle House Collective has had um, several shows that I really think fit that bill very much so. And Laura, there's one I know you're a really big fan of that has come and gone uh, in regards to some of the kind of intensity of the Candle House experience that makes them, that that people gravitate to those experience on the regular. Are we talking about each and every? Yes, I am. Yes. Was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful show. I will never stop. I mean, there's you know already a couple of productions that we've talked about that I just think the absolute world of yeah that was an, another one where i don't think that going into that space would have been possible without it being an audio centric format and in that case um at the time um taylor feld was the creator and performer um i believe that taylor now goes by rook feld and 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 continues to work with candle house collective and um Rook uh, texts you a couple of images. And I think also, again, anytime we talk about limitations and how limitations can be such a gift. And so when you don't have any other visual, you're not seeing the person over Zoom or what have you, you're not in a physically immersive space um, or, or with a performer live in front of you. Um, when it is just audio and the focus is on audio, then the few visuals that you do get also are really magnified and, um, and, it, and, it, and very, very powerful in that case. I mean, it wasn't solely because of the limitation, the writing and performing and direction were all brilliant. Um, but yeah, the limitation here is just so crucial. Yeah. And uh, Leah, did you do uh, each and every, I can't remember. I didn't, uh, okay. I've only done, two candle wait candle house right yeah, yes, yeah correct right okay good i've done two i've done two candle house shows uh claws and next time uh, and I, well, have, I have feelings about those but i don't know if we're talking about either of them. <laughs> well, well we'll talk about claws here in a second but for each and every i also did this experience 
as usual, prompted by Laura in particular, but a lot of the stuff <laughs> I see is because one of the many correspondents on staff say very uh, wonderful things about this. And I, I, in regards to this, you know, it's this kind of very reflective conversation uh, in regards to where we have been, the people we've interacted with, and where we're going with or without them. Um, to kind of keep it high level in case the show uh, ever remounts. And uh, once again, like just in that sense of, I think comparing this a little bit more closer to um, Leah, your experience with We Should Meet in the Air, like this was a very masterfully casual conversation um, in many ways. Laura, do you, did is it me or did you feel like it – it took a little bit of time for each and every where each each and each and every to get started in a good way because it started off very much like catching up with someone, getting to know someone, right? Yeah, it's a slow burn in that. I mean, even just just if we use one metric, the time I I think my call was around a ninety minute call. It is not. It was not a brief interlude. Yes, mine was definitely on the longer side as well. I don't remember the specifics, but I think that that really kind of engaged because um, Rook was just a very generous conversationalist in that sense because we definitely really went off on tangents. But what was so masterfully is that so many of those tangents ended up paying off in the end because I think it's a really great sandbox experience. I think that's the success of each and every is that um, you're plopped into this situation to have this conversation, but there are boundaries. There's a narrative, there's a story that's being told to you and you're engaged with, but you can go off in so many different places. You can follow the thread in so many different ways. And I think that was what really resonated with me at least. Well, and I, I think that that is, I think that's right. And also, I mean, yeah, Rook was um, masterful at a, allowing that space and then again, guiding us back onto the rails of the production in a way that did feel completely organic. It felt completely natural. Um, I felt like there was so much room for me and, and, and to be a part of their story Um which again is, is such an act of generosity. Um, when I didn't feel like when I look back on it, I mean, there were so many elements of like my contributions, they don't, they, they don't necessarily really move the story forward. And yet, um, it, it felt like I had so much agency and I'll go back to, it really did feel like this shared dance. Yes. Absolutely. And this is a top. This is a, a theme we've been hitting on over and over. Um, it's kind of blowing me away here. There are plenty of immersive shows out in the real physical universe that are fantastic, but you kind of maybe get the sense that they could go on without the audience, and they would be more or less the same show. Right. And or or, and or the audience the- is interchangeable in that sense. Like you know, we all right. could go on the journey and relatively have the same experience where clearly at this point with all the shows we've overlapped with so far in this conversation have had different interactions because then I would love to know Leah, what was your clause experience like? Well, 
think <laughs> here, I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second to think about it. So like clause is currently ongoing still. And this is a situation where, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, you are working for the et cetera helpline, uh, assisting people with whatever their needs is. You, people call and you're going to have to help them somewhat regardless of whatever the issue is. And you have this young a uh, boy, young man calls in and he believes he has cornered a monster in his closet uh, and it is trying to break free and he is alone and has no idea what to do. And you are the only person uh, he's able to get a hold of for assistance. Uh, and it gets pretty harrowing pretty quick depending on certain interactions so leah how did you handle the call then i thought it was i thought it was great fun um mm-hmm. i had <laughs> i had i guess what you might call the bad ending um which was also lots of fun but remember what we were just saying about shows where the audience is more or less interchangeable mm-hmm. that's how i felt about claws a great show a truly great show but i neither felt seen nor like I had anything other than a coin toss of, of an well, impact on, on how the show went. I too had the bad ending. Laura, what was your ending like then? I, I don't know. I don't mean to be naive. I'm, I mean, I think I also had the bad ending in that <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say anything cause it's still running. I just look, there's two tickets left for the current, ticket blocks so if you're mm-hmm. listening because these candle house shows sell really fast so well here um, let's do a let's do a uh when i say go here in a second that 60 seconds quick jump into the future for anyone who doesn't want a spoiler on the ending so go all right laura what was your ending i i guessed wrong i i i guessed wrong in the sense that the monster killed danny Okay, Leah. I uh, tricked Danny, who was outside of the closet, into leaving and let Danny in the closet out because I thought maybe that Danny was the real Danny and uh, the monster killed Danny. Uh, I had, and I too had a similar uh, Leah. I basically had the same thing to that point where I fell for the Danny in the closet and I thought, and I got so turned around in that conversation that I convinced that Danny not in the closet to let him out and he died. So there we go. So that, so there's the context <laughs> for people who either might not see it or have seen it. So, um, and I think that's kind of interesting in that sense that it did it, in many ways, it wasn't a happy ending and it, I wonder now, could it have ever been a happy ending? Well, that's actually why I'm, I, I was confused about why you're saying I got the bad ending. Because I was like, are you saying that because it was unsatisfying to you or just because Danny died? Oh, no, only because I've been watching a lot of video game playthroughs and that's the, the parlance for when bad things happen. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I, I, I guess in the sense of that, there's an implication, it's implied potentially that there could be a quote good ending in that sense that um a happy because we're now out of the spoiler section of people who maybe skipped ahead so that's why i'm back to being a little more coy that there's a possibility that things could end up well uh and i guess that's why i think maybe this clause is still worth revisiting because also uh, i think it's typically only says it's like a quick like 20 30 minute conversation yeah it's fast 
Well, I ended up having close to like a 50 minute conversation. <gasps> How did you stretch that, man? Show day. I must have been the last one. I don't know. But like I or I was so I maybe feel like in hindsight, I was a little indecisive. And I'm sure maybe the performer was like, (laughs) this guy's got to like make a decision here. Uh, But I really like questioned both. uh, I questioned everyone I encountered. So it's kind (laughs) of interesting in that sense, because I think I had a very unique experience. So can I, I want to go back for just a second to clarify something. Sure. Uh, I liked Claws quite a bit. I yes. liked it. Um, I also feel like it fits into a category of show that are some of my favorite shows. So things like um, Then She Fell or Sleep No More are also shows where I feel like the audience is potentially interchangeable. Um, so there's nothing right. against this particular style. I, I just sometimes think that it's not quite as satisfying for me as when I get to be an integral part of the show where I get to be seen by the performer as well as me seeing them. Well, and I think it's, it's back to that mind's eye thing. Like this is, it was a very harrowing experience. It was, I was scared. I was frightened. I was petrified for a majority of the time in that call. And I think the, the terror, you know, Danny could have conveyed any sorts of deals and things like that, but the terror I was creating in my own mind was far greater than anything that I could ever have encountered in that call or in any other experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's still running and that's definitely a, a favorite of the staff here, but there's also another uh, ongoing show uh, that has been, re- is been done a couple different ways by a couple different groups that I would love to talk about here. And that's the Ministry of Mundane Mysteries. And there's essentially been three productions of this. There was the original production that ran, uh, and that was from the Outside the March. That's a Canadian company. Then about a year or so later after it closed, um, a Chicago-based company uh, Bramble Theater remounted it essentially, labeling it the Mundane Mysteries uh, Chicago edition. And then on demand right now, with tickets still available, is is Mystery of Ministry of Mundane Mysteries on demand, where you do all the calls uh, at once. So instead of the the structure is typically you get a one phone call for five days in a row. On this latest version, you do the calls all in one night. So um, Laura, which version did you do? I did the original uh, Canadian version by Outside the March. Okay. And uh, Leah, what about you? I did both the Canadian Outside the March version and the condensed version. All right. And I've only done the Chicago version. So this is kind of interesting. I would love um, for that sense, what were your guys' uh, experience with the original Canadian production? (laughs) Leah do you want to go or I'm happy to jump in you know what I I don't have much to say about it 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 was extremely charming um like I I still smile thinking about it I was pleased to recommend it to other people I loved hearing about their experiences it was just a charming fun show so mine is a little particular in that I presented to them a um I absolutely loved it I'll start by saying I absolutely (laughs) loved it Um, I asked them very specifically, I said, um, I think I've encountered 
ghosts. I have mm-hmm. photographic evidence. Um, I would really like it if you could help me get to the bottom of this, you know, and, and all, I mean, um, and, and I do, I genuinely do have these photographs. I was not making that part up. Um, and it was something that happened when I was a kid and, um, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And this event took place in Hannibal, Missouri, which is the birthplace of Mark Twain and, um, very quaint kind of town. And, um, it was in an old mansion that I'd, I'd taken these photos and, and had this experience. Um, it was film. And once we developed the photos, we were like, what happened to these? And they looked really weird and like there were ghosts in them. So I presented this to Outside the March. Um, so as Patrick said, it's a phone call per day for five days in a row. And my Monday phone call went on for quite a long time. I think they were initially presented as like 10 to like 15 minute phone calls. And I felt it was really luxurious. I got like a I don't know, 30 or 40 minute phone call and um, by Inspector Doyle, that was the character's name. And we went oh, through. Oh, mine too. Oh, and he was so wonderful. I'm forgetting the, the performer's name. Um, I'll try to pull it up while we're talking. But he was so charming and delightful. And we had this, and he was so interested in, in this mystery that I was presenting. And then, so that alone was really fun. And then I did, I emailed uh, the photos to Inspector Doyle and they crafted, they found a different mansion that does actually exist in Missouri and, um, that has been reported to be haunted. And so they crafted this whole, uh, tale Mm -hmm. based on other real world places and events. And it was absolutely hilarious. It was, I couldn't get over the degree of specificity, um, I felt like they really, I I just felt so indulged in this thing that made an experience that was already kind of otherworldly into this brilliant, fantastical, delightful kind of, you know, act two. And so I, I couldn't, I don't know if you just kind of showed up and said, like, I don't really have a mystery or it's this you know, you're kind of making something up, but like, I think in part, I was very specific and they took that and they absolutely ran with it. And I, I told so many people about it because it was so thoroughly, what was so thorough and it was so thoroughly delightful. You know what? I, I'm going to go back on what I said a little bit then. This is becoming my my standard for this show. <laughs> but I also gave them something very – well, you know, I, I realize a couple of years go by and you're sort of experiencing this thing in, in with 2020 hindsight vision, right? So now I've got all of these other experiences that I'm layering on top. But at the time, I was completely delighted. It was just so charming. It indulged is a really nice way of putting it. Um I'd also brought something very specific. I have a less less spooky. I have a small plastic cow that's missing a leg. Uh, it lost its leg in a bag. <laughs> I have no idea where the leg went. Uh, so I had the case of the small <laughs> and uh, broken plastic three-legged cow. Uh, and so and was your request this... to find out what had happened to the cow or the cow's leg? Uh, y- yes. And I, there are four... Um, departments you can submit something to. And I, I imagine you submitted yours to the Department of the Paranormal. Um, no. Oh, really? I didn't submit to any particular... Oh, really? Interesting. No. Oh. Well, I... Anyway, keep I, going. 
I forget what the name of my my department was. It was something like misplaced keepsakes or or something. Um, and I got this really strange, cool, interesting story about um, this surfer bro who had been breaking into my <laughs> house <laughs> to steal my three legged cow and. Uh, the good vibes that had come with this cow and he'd been replacing it with a different cow every night um, and selling these cows for money, for profit <laughs> on the beach. It was a very weird story <laughs> and really like quite lovely. And it was all taken from this first interview. Like Laura said, you have this this interview at the very beginning where they get all of this information about you. And then these bits and pieces from that your inspector learns about you gets get woven into the story over time. And yeah. by and the was, end of your week. Yeah. It, it was very similar. Leah, you had a very similar experience to me because I had the, uh, with Bramble, I had the case of the missing avocado toy. Um, my, uh, <laughs> my Siamese uh, Lynx point mix cat Lynx named after the constellation. Um, not because we're lazy. Uh, he mm-hmm. was, love this avocado toy and he just couldn't get enough of it and like fits in your palm in your hand. And then one day it was just poof gone. Uh, so of course, you know, he's heartbroken. Uh, he gives me these big baby blue eyes. So I have to go get him a new one, but it's like, we live in it. We live in the city. We live in a condo, you know, one, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like a big duplex or some manor or something like that. Where did this avocado toy go? And so I, I submitted that to most likely a similar kind of department in regards to like missing keepsakes or lost items. And, uh, you know, then the conversation I had influenced everything that followed, which involved magicians. And um, that's part of the reason why I was disappearing in regards to it. And it's some high tension with the avocado toy and things like that. And uh, it was, I, I, I think what was ma- makes this experience so great uh, in regards to everything, all of the productions most likely, is that they really lean into the zaniness. Um, mm. there, there is no <laughs> – every possibility is on the table, and right, we're going to explore right. all of them. <laughs> um, yes, I think that's what really worked here was, was this combination of um, – personal attention to detail and and the inspectors are great listeners and they're getting all sorts yes. of information about you, but then they're layering it on top of this really just goofy scenarios. So it's, it's very, very funny. Um, and the, the reason- emails too, there were a couple of, because oh, I don't know if yeah. that happened to you, but because I was, I, I wanted to share these photographs. And so I, I said, can I email, you know, where do I, where do, how do I get these to you? Um, and I do want to say inspector Doyle, the performer's name is Colin Doyle. And um, he was, just absolutely spectacular. And so they sent me a couple of emails back that were obviously in world and, um, and it, it, again, it cracks open as Patrick's saying, it cracks open that, that sort of permission for me to also be really zany. And so I would respond to these emails, um, again, in world and, just say kind of ridiculous things. And I mean, I remember like kind of, you know, grinning through my way of, of, uh, of typing out these emails. And so every touch point, um, I felt like I was given permission to just go wherever I wanted to go. And not only would they match that, they would then exceed it. 
And you know what makes this really special now that I'm thinking of it is you're not just talking to your inspector for the no. entire show. No, you're not. Although you are talking to the same performer. So you might talk to five different characters over the course of the week, but oh, really? they're all being done. Oh, right. I had, I had multiple performers. I had multiple performers as oh, really? well. Yeah. yeah. Um, our, well, because Leah, I would love Hold to learn as, as you did it, a, the, abbre- the quote unquote abbreviated version where instead of giving all five calls, uh, over five days you got them all in one night uh i wonder could you could you speak to a little bit how that that experience was doing all the calls at once sure but i I think we're gonna have to do some fact checking here because i maybe i was making presumptions that that i had a person who was doing some pretty extreme voice acting um but that was my assumption for both the abbreviated version and the original and that was why one of the reasons i thought it was so special was you could share all this information and and the actor had this information about you throughout. They they do, and and the, at least in my case, the other performers. So on on days that I got a phone call that wasn't from Inspector Doyle, um, I they they added in people into the story in ways that again it it leveled up on the story, and they knew all the information, and all of this is being shared amongst the performers, and they're crafting the story and and building it up. Um, so it was incredibly additive. It was it was truly wonderful. Um, yeah, because with that, you don't know. At least for me, it was like I don't know who I'm. I know I'm getting a call at like seven o'clock every night, every weeknight, but I didn't know who was going to be on the other line. Right. Uh, and, and it changed very much so. And I think that added a great deal to the experience for me. Okay. Well, if someone from uh, outside the March could just email me and uh, let me know, I feel like this is the equivalent of telling me that Santa's not real, but fine. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh my God. Oh, I, sorry. Yeah, listening spoilers. in the car with their, ch- oh my God. <laughs> Oh, oh wait. we're gonna have to like oh. record a special intro now. Oh, great. <laughs> what if um, I say a bunch of swears? Then we can get this on explicit tag. Yeah, um, I suppose. Yeah, yeah but then that's we still the solution. Get it. Yeah, <laughs> just curse nonstop. Um, so, so one of the things I realized after having all of my friends do this was this was essentially a very well done version of Mad Libs. Totally, um, totally. Yeah, and. I went into my abbreviated version knowing that, and I think I lost a little bit of the joy because of it. It was still enjoyable, but I I had a roadmap for, for what was coming. Not exactly. So, some insane things happened on my, on my second call um, or my second session, uh, and I would definitely enjoy doing it again. I didn't like the structure as much for the abbreviated call. Um, Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry, I shouldn't say I shouldn't have agreed with you because I was agreeing with something that I I totally didn't do and don't have reference for. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, but no, yeah, like you, it, you, you were right experience. because I, I was yeah. talking about I was talking about the first. Oh, got it. Okay, yes. I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> well, because <laughs> I think I think everyone can ever all the listeners are probably like oh they're getting loopy and we definitely are so I would love to maybe to help put a cap on this conversation um, is in 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 all the things that we've talked about and maybe some that we didn't get a chance to but we've definitely have there's more and more of these telephone experiences and they're happening on the regular and uh, I think they have quite a bit of um, equal power in 
immersing audiences in story and action and possibility. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Laura, and I would love to learn uh, from you. What do you think makes these telephone experiences so great? Why do we keep um, picking up the phone? Well, I'm okay. I'm going to punt for a good reason. So I'm actually going to have, <laughs> okay. I'm going to have Leah start um, because I'm going to, jump on some thoughts that she has. Okay. Let's pretend right. I asked Leah first. <laughs> yeah. Well, Patrick, uh, <laughs> since you asked me first, um, <laughs> I think that the, the thing that makes the kind of telephone immersive that I love so special is an aspect of intimacy that just doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, the the user, the, the audience is very grounded in a physical space around them without being distracted by a screen or anything else. You have the capacity just to listen to voice, uh, but the performer has to be in the exact same space, mentally, emotionally speaking. They have to be listening. They have to be accepting. This is not the kind of theater that can be done without an actively engaged audience. And I, I, I think it's just so beautiful and so impactful. And this is the kind of stuff that really stays with me living in my head indefinitely in ways that a lot of other theater doesn't. So I'm, I agree with some of that and I disagree with some of that. Um, I definitely Bring agree. It. I definitely agree with like, I mean, I've done many phone-based experiences. They hold a very, very special place in my heart. I think that they are, they have a very specific kind of power. And I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, what I'll piggyback on is to say that um, I think that the, these audio centric formats, these phone based experiences, they have the power to create a very specific kind of environment. It's almost like they create this really beautiful bubble between the two of you, between you and the other speaker, whether that's a performer or a participant. And that segues me to where I'm going to push back. So I think that, I actually think that phone-based experiences, one of their magical powers is that you don't have to be in the same space. Um, and that the phone-based experiences can bring you together, I think, not more so than in-person physical experiences, but it's a different way. And what I'll just use as a quick example is in A Thousand Ways Part One, a phone call by 600 Highwaymen, <laughs> which is also a phone call, um, that's participant driven. So there is this um, guided voice that is the infrastructure and, um, and I believe not a live performer. And the other participant is, um, it's the two of you exchanging. And when I did it, my fellow participant was late, um, didn't seem like he wanted to be there. I remember being very baffled. And yet through the brilliance of that show and the way that it was crafted, we, we arrived in a place together. And so I do think that um, the intentionality has to be there. The design does have to be there. Um, but I think you can't, you don't necessarily have to start in that same place together. 
but I think these phone-based experiences can really guide you into that bubble in a really, really magical, special way. And, mm-hmm. and maybe to bridge both of your comments together, I think what, at least in this conversation I've stumbled upon is I love these telephone experiences because I subconsciously end up doing so much. My mind's eye helps take me to new heights um, in both the possibilities, in the ideas, in what I could be emotionally feeling and engaging with because it I, I'm in a safe space here in my office and I am comfortable and I have a certain luxury with that to maybe when your mind wanders in these things, typically it's wandering to build out the rest of it, to expand the conversation in some way, to create new depth to it. And I think that's what really is makes a lot of the telephone experiences worthwhile to me is that uh, instead of relying on set or not that like having lights and sound and set and all this kind of stuff, be, going into a well-constructed physical space uh, is always wonderful and magical, but you know, what you can do with your mind can be equally so. Uh, and I think that's the success to some of these. I think you're right. I think that it, it, and I agree with you around, like, I love physically immersive spaces. Uh, it, it, they, they truly are extraordinary, but Phone-based experiences give you a chance to to do that, to like co-create that expansion and also to go inward. And and that is that's really special to be to have that option to do both and to be guided and encouraged to do both simultaneously. It's incredibly satisfying. I agree. And I'd I'd like to add that it also gives the audience and gives us access to a much larger breadth and diversity of creators uh, because production value does not have to be Disney level for something to be completely, completely immersive. Exactly. And in terms of, you know, accessibility around geography, around disabilities, I mean, it, it cracks open the option for people to create these, you know, whether they're on the creator side or whether they are on the participant side, it cracks it open for so many people to be a part of it. Hmm. And uh, yeah, telephone and immersive, that, our our new favorite genre. Hmm? It's definitely <laughs> one I very much enjoy. Um, Laura, Leah, thank you so much for uh, talking with me and, and talking whoa, whoa, whoa. about. Wait a minute, screen. I'm sorry. Can we can we do one last thing? I'm so sorry to interrupt here. It's just we can't have a show about telephone immersive without at least hat tipping to telelibrary by Yannick Trapman O'Brien, uh, Yannick Trapman O'Brien. It's still running. Please go check it out. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. And there's, there's so many, if you go to everything immersive, there's so many online experience of uh, telephone experiences. Uh, you can look on the online site to find and, you know, look back in the feed. There's a lot of many shows that we talk about maybe in the show notes, so I can put something together of other recommendations. There was a few I didn't get to, but um, keep your eyes uh, peeled on the site, keep your eyes peeled anywhere, and then keep your ears open to hear that phone ring. Um, Laura, Leah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, no proscenium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you heard on this podcast and who you read their work on the site are volunteers. 
You can support this work by donating to the No Proscenium Patreon. Just 2 or $5 a month is a major help to us. Uh, if you're enjoying Review Crew or the main podcast as well, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. And then hold on, guys, one second. <laughs>